So if we are going to be the light to the nations, we better get liturgy right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined today not by Dave Van Vickle. No, he couldn't make it today. His kids had a thing with a thing and another thing. But instead, we have a special guest. We've upgraded David's. We are now with Father David Huss. How you doing, Father David? <laughs> Doing great, doing great. Loving it down in Texas. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We uh we're coming at each other over uh the Riverside Skype app thingy. Uh but we're ten minutes away from each other. Ten <laughs> minutes away. Yes. Yeah, I just got in from Tulsa. I was there doing a That Man is You event. Great event. It was uh how do Catholics read the Bible? So before I gave the talk, I went through and I came up with twelve Catholic ways of reading the Bible and understanding the Bible. And then I came up with nine ways to start wait, not nine. Uh, oh gosh, what was it? Nine, nine ways to like get started today. And then six ways of like of, of a methodology when you get, it was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, they gave me 30 minutes and I took an hour. Not my fault. <laughs> that sounds like our Gomer. Not yeah. my fault. They asked for a, a Q and a, and then uh, I, it was more a and less Q, which <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're friends and i've been called worse yes exactly it's like oh just short homily or short little talk i'm like uh yeah you don't know me so nah. <laughs> yeah yeah i want to give nah. you everything all the goodness all the time all at once yes 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 yeah so father david huss is a priest of the archdiocese of galveston houston he's a parochial vicar at my old parish saint anthony of padua in the woodlands and he has been a priest how long have you been a priest now five years five years five years yeah, Father David and my wife go way back. They used to be uh they used to live in these apartment units right next to each other. And I used to come and stay with him and visit her and 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 him and we would uh I used to annoy him because we would me and Shana were obsessed with twenty four and he didn't like twenty four. So me and Shana would go to the grocery store and we'd buy a bunch of food and then we would just watch on D V D from Blockbuster Video all the twenty four episodes for a season. It was like y'all, and it was like y'all were in there for like twenty four hours. It was, yeah, it was like the whole day. I'm like, goodness. Well, it was twenty four hours minus commercial breaks because they were on DVD, so it was more <laughs> like a forty two minute hour. So it was, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it's and good. people wonder why I'm obese. Um, anywho, <laughs> brought you on the show today to talk about a subject that I've never heard you talk about. Okay, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the liturgy, uh, <laughs> Father David. Man. You are. W- w- <laughs> As a priest, you had a zeal for the liturgy when you were a seminarian mm-hmm. uh, more than any other time, I feel like, in, in your life. Since I've known you since I was uh, a freshman at Franciscan. We're in the same household together. What, what was it that drew you into like being zealous for the sacred liturgy? For the most part, I mean, as I'm discerning, because so background for, for me, just for those who wonder, like my my background was medical and I had planned on being a doctor and God said, I don't want you to be a doctor. And I discerned that with my spiritual director and stuff like that. And then I had five years of, of just utter desolation where God was not speaking. And those are, I now look back upon those as being some of the greatest moments of my life. Cause it taught me love is not a feeling and it's to give and to will the good of the other. And to, when it comes to God, just like to, to offer our sacrifice, to offer ourselves, like to love him, even when it doesn't seem like we're getting something back, even though when you love in God, he's always given back. And then, so, but eventually he did say, like in a holy hour, like, I want you to be my priest. And that's where 
then I entered seminary. And, and I think then I just wanted to utterly give myself to him in, in all things and be the best priest, the holiest priest that I could be, like be the saint he's calling me to be because we're all called to be saints. And so then devouring like documents of the church, devouring um, things of the saints where they're speaking of the priesthood and how we be good priests. And well, all of them, I mean, what's central there is liturgy and making manifest God's love for us in in the sacraments. Like that's what liturgy means is like a service in the name of or on behalf of the people. And that's what God does through the priesthood. And if I'm studying for that, like I'm just, I'm reading, reading, reading. And it was stuff, especially that I hadn't heard um, basically in my upbringing. I had a very good priest as a, as a child who, who helped us in a lot of, know a lot more of uh, morality and things like that and how we should strive for holiness. But we didn't get a ton on like liturgy or in some sense, the deeper levels of the sacraments. And so and right. I just, I, I kept wanting to read and it would just became more and more alive. If, if this is a relationship with God, the more you read about the liturgy, you're like, oh, well, it, especially understanding that it's not just the mass that liturgy is, but yeah. it's all the sacraments. Like this, these are all touch points. These are all moments. These are all encounters. Like this is where I get to go like more and more in relationship with Christ. But also too, if I'm being called a priest, like these, this is the most important moments. Because if my job is the salvation of souls, then engaging in this well and being a good instrument here and conforming, allowing myself to be conformed to Christ, like that's how I'm going to assist Christ best um, and love his people best. What was the most surprising thing you encountered when you became a priest? Like, let's say, okay, five years in retrospect, what was, what was something that surprised you the most about your ministerial priesthood? Besides, you know, working with me, uh, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. I think sometimes, and, and, and you'll f- talked about it, like we, we have issues within the church where people want what they want, how they want it, when they want it. Like there is a consumeristic mentality and that sometimes you get discouraged by, but there's also, there's also the complete opposite. People are super hungry for the faith and relationship with Christ. And the more they do learn, sometimes we like kind of poo-poo the intellectual life. And I'm not just talking about like relationship with Christ is merely intellectual, obviously. Right. But there are people, people, the more you give them, and even just going back to the basics and like teaching people how to pray. And it just, one, it does a lot. Like you can think you gave them like nothing. And weeks later, they'll be like, that changed everything. You're like, I just said, pray like 10 minutes or something, (laughs) rather than just saying, Hi God, I love you in the morning, and be like, "That's that was fine, that was good." But yeah. God does want more for you. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, even the basics can like begin to transform people's lives. And but people really are hungry for truth. Yeah, yeah. So, and as Catholics right now, you know, the church is. I think it's fair to say that the church is in crisis in a lot of areas, and a lot of people are confused and all this stuff. But the best advice that I've seen in terms of like for the average Catholic is. It's not about hunker down. It's not about hide behind, you know, the walls and and only with your side. It's about being a better disciple, like understanding discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. Did you not think there would be crosses? I mean, he literally said, unless you take up your cross, you're not worthy of me, right? You cannot be my disciple. And so persecution comes to people inside the church, outside the church. Discipleship and sanctity are the only things that matter. So uh, how would you stealing one of your pre-formatted questions. How would you define discipleship? Because I think this is the the kind of the place that I want to tackle liturgy is from the angle of discipleship, disciple-making, being a disciple. So how do you define discipleship? I would say one one who is sacrificially like given themselves entirely over to Christ 
who is following after him, so seeking to be conformed to his sacred heart that the, the two hearts beat as one. And when someone else exterior to you, like looks upon you, you've been, you've been conformed to Christ. And so you are in a sense, another Christ, a little Christos, little one way to win. Yeah. My, uh, the, this theme of discipleship is coming back so much harder in my life right now. I mean, like it is, it is smacking me in the face to the point where, you know, as a family, we do things like family prayer in the evenings. You know, we pray before meals. We do all that stuff. It's become a rhythm in my own kid's life. So that's like, good. We got these rhythms. We got these habits. Cool running. Feel the rhythm. Feel the ride. But then I I, I watched a couple talks in preparation for um, a manhood talk that I was going to give because I work for that man is you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going through that. And I'm, I'm trying to get like a, just a ton of different perspectives, right? not just biblical, but scientific and Christian and Catholic, Protestant, whatever. And I'm going through, and there was this one guy who was, uh, he was at a conference and he said, I only travel eight days a month because if I travel any more than that, I'm a liar if I say that my family is the most important thing in my life. If I travel any less than that, I can't feed my family. So he said, so it is exactly eight days a month. Now he's an in-demand speaker, so he can kind of dictate terms like that. But um mm-hmm. But he had this beautiful thing. One, he takes his kids with him when he does ministry. One kid, you know, the oldest, usually the boy who was the oldest. And he says, the moment my son turned 13, we did an initiation ritual for him. You know, welcome to manhood. And then he said, and from that day forth, from homeschooling to his faith, I discipled him. And part of the challenge is to get people to understand, like, your relationship with your kids as an active discipling moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not just teaching my kids how to pray, which is part of it, right? And I'm not just praying with my kids. I'm walking them through. So the way it kind of looks in our family now is it's starting to evolve is we have our set family prayers. We have all these things that we do, you know, before we study, before we eat, you know, whatever, before we go to bed. But we also spend time in scripture, especially the gospels, to get to know the person of Christ and to make his life the center. And so as we're going through, like, you know, we'll take a chunk of scripture. That's a, that's a technical term. And we'll just walk through it. And then I'll pause in the middle. I'm like, who are we talking about? Elizabeth. Who's Elizabeth? Mary's cousin. Okay. Who's her husband? Zachariah. Okay. And who are they the parents of? John the Baptist. Awesome. Okay. We got that. Now let's keep going. And then as we build and build and build, they're building not just a knowledge base, but a familiarity with the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like is missing from for, for a lot of people. They don't have a familiarity with him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, we 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 talk about uh, a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet maybe another definition that could be had for disciple would end up being one who is in like right relationship with Him, and so on, on His terms. And actually, this gets us into like yeah. the word religion, which is so looked upon so negatively nowadays. Right? Religion, religiari, means to be bound to. Like God wants us to be bound to Him. I mean, that's the beauty of this whole. <laughs> His whole Christian life is a God who does not need us, wants to save us. He wants to be in relationship with us. Amazing. Yeah. And, but guess what? And because he wants so much to be us to be in relationship with him, he gave us the way he's giving us the way to be bound to him. And so we don't like, that's, if we're going to be in right relationship with him, like we need to, we need to look upon how, uh, how he's told us. And again, this is, this is revealed to us uh, through sacred scripture, sacred tradition. That's where we also get to like know him, right? Cause you can't love what you don't know. And so as you're wonderfully taking chunks out of scripture with the children and even for yourself, like that's where we can, again, learn more about more about the beloved. He can speak to us. We can meditate upon that content. Or yes, sometimes it can just be content that's being handed over to us that we can meditate upon like later, but still to learn more about the beloved. And then that way we can 
we can follow him more. We can surrender more and more to our heart to him. But yeah, it, the relational aspect, we we are very much consumers nowadays and we want to have relationship on our terms yeah. and and we don't engage in all the, the beautiful things that yeah. are there for us within, within our faith, within our tradition, so that we can be more bound to him. I feel like a lot of Catholics don't, like as the, the modern side of us, we don't want to admit that we don't want to let God's sovereignty dictate the relationship, right? We don't want to, we don't want to say that it is the fact that God is God and we are not. That's who dictates the terms of the relationship. And that's saying it kind of harshly, but God is God. And he does, he, our perfection consists in giving him glory, right? And so one of the chief stumbling blocks for people in growth in their prayer is to realize like God stoops to raise us, but it's to raise us up to him, not to drag him down to us. And so one of the things that you see is this constant desire for, you know, what was the famous line? Uh, God made man in his image and likeness and man's been trying to repay the favor ever mm -hmm. since, <laughs> right? We do this in all these different things, like take morality, right? We're doing a semester right now on EKSB on sexual morality using the the lens of theology of the body to evangelize modern culture and to equip ourselves to speak to it but you have this understanding of like well we're well that was old and that's that's the argument like no we don't that's traditional marriage that's traditional courting and relationships and you just slap a traditional label and like it's only justification is that it's old and that's it and it's like well no so the big thing for us is immorality in liturgy in sacraments, right, in the creed, in the dogmas and doctrines that we believe, it's his way to us and our way to come back to him. But he's the one who makes the way. So we don't get to change the terms, right? We don't get to, like, the yeah. eternal son of God became the son of Mary and came down the mountain from heaven to earth and made this way. But, you know, do whatever you want. That's, like, yeah. not, <laughs> not at all what God set up for us. So I think I set all this up because I think in terms of sacred liturgy, more than any other place, whether you're conservative or liberal or whatever, we tend to try to remake the liturgy in our image and likeness. In fact, I just talked about it last time with the That Man Is You guys, where the idea was like, what is the sacred liturgy and why do we play games with it where we don't play games with anything else, you know, mm -hmm. for a lot of us, right? And so, yeah, let's go through what happens through the sacred liturgy. Why does this matter that we not monkey around with it so much some of it uh, and I, I just want to back up a little bit and get to it matters that we don't monkey around with it because the sacred liturgy is our encounter with the almighty and yet the all loving god and again he want he wants us to be again in that deep deep relationship with him but he's going to set the tone he's going to give the things that are going to help be in that i think one of the reasons why like the book of leviticus for instance is so not uh, we're looking at like typological things like Scott Hahn and people like that will we'll point out like pointing us to what's going to come in the sacraments. Leviticus is underappreciated because one we have again this notion of of not looking at we don't want God to impose upon us something. But guess what? Like that's precisely what had to happen. Like God was trying to make sure that the people were notice like it's the it's the bulls. And the lambs that have to be sacrificed. You have Hathor, which was in the form of the cow in Egypt, and you have Ares, which was the form of the sheet. Those things which the Egyptians people like basically looked upon as gods, those had to be slaughtered yeah. because it was saying like those those are false gods. Like and and I am the only true God, and I'm going to because they're kind of like addicted to paganism. 
Yeah. This is why they go and very quickly do the golden calf thing. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna, I got to break you of these false gods so yeah. that you can be mine. You can be my people. And I can keep doing, I can keep binding you to me. Nowadays, again, I think we, we miss that like God is wanting to do something for us. It's not just us choosing him. And again, the way we want to be in a relationship, he's, he's, he's telling us exactly the, the, he's giving us the means by which he wants to enter into deep relationship. So let's go liturgy. Okay. So liturgy, if you look at your catechism, like 1069, again, the word liturgy officially meant like public work. And just for clarity there, because there's sometimes people say the work of the people. And yes, while the people of God are responding or doing something, they're responding. They're responding to him doing something first. We kind of get this if we look at like Monopoly and there was like public works. Like <laughs> it's, it's it's the governing body doing something on behalf of the people. Like, right, we get this in terms of like how we take out trash. We have to put out our trash and then the governing body comes and does that good thing for us. I think the better the it goes on and says, or the service in the name of or on behalf of the people. Like God is wanting to do something. He's wanting to us to, he's he is doing something and then we are responding to it in various ways. And this is why actually I was talking a little bit earlier, saying the liturgy is not exhausted in like the mass. The mass is the Eucharistic sacrifice as Sacrosanctum Concilium says, and actually important one we forget is, is a paragraph 11 of Lumen Gentium. So if we are going to be the light to the nations, we better get liturgy right. Because devotion and all that stuff is very important, but in terms of offering right sacrifice, being united to it and receiving all that, that comes from it, like we better get that right or we're not going to be a good light to the nations. So the this most important thing, offering worship, which remember, worship is not just prayer, song, and sermon. It is offering sacrifice. We, sorry, my brain wants to go into a tangent because like a couple weeks ago when we were getting on the whole uh, St. Peter and you are the rock and yeah. on the rock, I will build my church. I was reading like a commentary for, by uh, Dr. Brant Petrie. And I had never heard this before. Like after Jeremiah takes away the Ark of the Covenant to make sure like with the Babylonian exile that it's not like defiled. Yeah. When you have the second temple, where is the blood spilled on the day of atonement? Is it just thrown on, thrown on the rock, on the rock. So Jesus very clearly <laughs> point where the mercy seat would be, yeah. where, where the, the Ark of the Covenant would be like he, the, the blood is poured on the rock. And so Christ is even, there's even something being set up there. Not, not, not only you're like the prime minister, I'm going to give you the keys. You're the rock that's I'm going to build the church upon, but this new temple, right? Because Jesus says, I am the temple and I will, in just three days, I will raise it up. It will be destroyed and I will raise it up. He is it. And he will be the, the, the means of sacrifice. And he will be, he, he, he will be the priest, the sacrifice, and, and the, the means on which the sacrifice is, the altar on which the sacrifice is offered. But it will be in unison with Peter. If you're not engaged with Peter uh, and in the church, you're, you're not offering sacrifice. You're not offering worship in the way that Christ is instituted. Sorry, I'm getting, I got one tangent in my brain. Well, Give me back. yeah, I mean, when you, but when you think about it, right? So it, it's funny you brought up Leviticus because I was, talking about leviticus last night and jeff cavins has this funny thing where he's like you know you want to do your bible in a year i think it's it's the very first episode of the bible timeline the long one and he says you know you go to do it so you go and buy a new bible and a new notebook because apparently your old bible doesn't work and you get it in october but you got to wait till january 1st and then january 1st well, now we just have father mike schmitz and it's beautiful mm -hmm. but um uh, all the nations are reconciled under no, that's sweet, sweet podcast. But um, so he said, uh, he has this joke where he's like, and it's going great. Genesis, you know, you're going through all this. I think it Exodus, all oh, liberation of slaves. And then you get into Leviticus. It's like somewhere in like early March. And you're like, what in the what is this? And everyone just gets bogged down and like, nope, nope, I am done. And it's funny because I was talking with a, um, uh, a Jewish guy and he was saying that 
the most important book for Jews is Leviticus mm-hmm. in terms of first century Judaism. So this is, this is yeah. like he's speaking historically. And he said every Jewish man, woman, and child would have been trained in Leviticus. Whether or not they could read, they probably knew the majority of it backwards and forwards, especially that which pertained to the laity and, and obviously that which pertained to the priesthood. The priest would know. So this this whole idea of like, I don't think people realize that in the first 20 years of the church or thereabouts, you know, Paul wrote maybe 15 years, 16 years after the resurrection, he wrote a letter, but that wasn't considered scripture by everyone simultaneously everywhere in the church. It was hanging out in Thessalonica. It wasn't in Rome. It wasn't, you know, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Eventually the letters we could circulate and all that good stuff. But what I'm trying to say here is their scriptures were the Old Testament Mm -hmm. in the New Testament church. For a long time, for decades. And that's why in Paul's letters, he just passes off these casual references to major Old Testament things. And everyone's like, yep. Right? If I were to walk up to the average Catholic and say, Jesus Christ descended according to the flesh from David. You know, they probably think I was talking about you. Right? Like, they have no idea. David Fickle, they have no idea. Like, who is David? I I say this all the time. I was like, who's the house of David? When you talk about Christmas, right? Born of a virgin Mm -hmm. of the... You know, betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. What's the house of David, right? And so the Van Vickle, right? No, it, what, no one knows what that is. But it, Paul can just throw a passing reference to it because they were steeped. Every Gentile convert was steeped in the Jewish Old Testament scriptures because that spoke to them of Christ. And they didn't have the New Testament yet. And so the sad thing is, for us, a passing reference, it takes 400 years of scholarship to unearth because one, we haven't had the temple in, for you know two thousand years, mm-hmm. but like this whole idea, going doing a deep dive into it, it's like this is what fed their daily lives. This understanding of sacrifice and temple, the psalms you intone when you're going to and from, and so Jesus could reference the psalms and the Exodus and Isaiah, and everyone would have understood what he was saying. But we we don't. And then when we approach the liturgy, we approach it kind of with this attitude of, well, how does this make me feel and it's like that expression you know god bless america and then a a bumper sticker slowly started making its way in popularity and said america comma bless god and it's like that's an inversion of what we need to be thinking like i go to mass to bless the holy name of the lord to be a participant in the in the great liturgy that god is doing on our behalf yes for us right it is for us in, in the fact of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was for us, right? And for our salvation. But it, it is ultimately the self-offering of the son, the high priest, and himself the victim to the father that we, because of the Holy Spirit's power, get to participate in. And so when we make it about us, that's where things uh, kind of get off the rails, kind of go a little screwy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it may get about us, we also things like when we get into Hebrews, like Hebrews is going to make sense because Hebrews is talking about like yeah. you've, Yom Kippur, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, but you've come to the mountain, right? Like, this is one of the reasons why churches are built the way they are. Typically, they, they ascend, like, into the, the priest ascends to the mountain. He ascends into the holy place to offer the sacrifice. He's offering the one true sacrifice of the Son that 
Christ gave priests the power to, to do, anamnesis means to like bring that piece of reality into existence now, so that do this in memory of me, like that, that the Greek is far better for us to understand. Uh, oftentimes, and this is where we need to go back to a lot of these languages, it's so beautiful that we have this capacity to do this now to help us really understand like what's happening, because we can read in a book, but also too, when we go back to languages, we can see some of this stuff, like even our father too, like, right, it's the super substantial bread rather than just like daily bread. Um, and so it's pointing us very clearly as we're in Eucharistic revival time right now in the, in, in the United States, like, yeah, Christ was already telling them like, I'm going to give you something way better than the manna in the desert. Anyway, but we, we, we lose sight that it is Christ as um, I'm forgetting the particular piece of scripture, but like Christ will be, uh, will not be unjust to himself. God will not be unjust to himself. Like he will fulfill justice. Like Christ came to fulfill justice that humanity could never do and offer the perfect sacrifice of love from humanity to the father. And thanks be to God that also again, then justifies us that again, brings us back into right relationship with us, reconciles us with him. So two things are being done. And we forget that when we come to the temple, we come to our local parishes, we are entering into that. And that's, that's why even the church puts on our lips. And we join with the angels as and saints as they proclaim, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. That's what we're joining. Like we are entering into eternity and we don't tell eternity like how to operate. This is why the church, if anything, is a good mother and one with her spouse uh, and inspired as well by the Holy Spirit, like tells us, gives us these ways, just like how God gave the people like these particular rules in Leviticus, because these things are supposed to help us surrender ourselves, die to ourselves, be sacrificial. This is why the priest even turns to the people and says, pray, brother, that my sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ and yours be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Like you have come, you are a piece of the sacrifice. And then all the cares, all the joys, all the things, like we're coming to join in his sacrifice, get into even that. Like, how is that? Like it's, well, it's because the liturgy first began and Christ incorporated us into himself in the waters of baptism. We died with Christ so as to rise with Christ. We were made little Christoses, so now we can like offer sacrifice to the Father. Again, where do we want to go? There's, I mean, you, there's tons. It's, yeah, I mean, there's so much. And and one of the things that I see, I, I keep getting on this bent, you know, it's like, it's not about us, it's not about us, it's not about us, because there is such a push today in even evangelization circles of making the Mass more accommodating to the outsider. Mm-hmm. And my biggest thing is like, if you look at the earliest days of the church, Mass was... They had the discipline of the secret, meaning no one told what happened at Mass because Christians were being persecuted and they didn't want the Blessed Sacrament being desecrated. You know, when they're in, they're in catacombs, they're doing this and that. And Early um, deacons are bouncers, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's one of their jobs, besides, <laughs> like, yes, proclaim the word. Like, but they're also, like, bouncers. I saw in an article, like, a long while ago. And that's one reason why you still, like, if we have the, if we have the uh, bishop at, like, the cathedral, like, he's usually surrounded by, like, four deacons. Like, it's kind of like, because they're like his bouncers. That's awesome. It's a little old church stuff. But it matters to to like get this right in so many ways. Because in a sense, the liturgy is Christ. He is communicating his life to us in the liturgy. And a lot of people care about the sacraments. I I guarantee you, everyone listening to this, they care about the sacraments. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the liturgy, it's like, yeah, well, you know, you got to make it relevant for the kids. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do that. And what we end up doing is we we don't know that we're doing this. This is the great line of Chesterton's fence. We don't know what we're doing because we don't know what we're undoing. Mm-hmm. And so the big part of our liturgical life is it is a conformity of our interior and exterior, our individual and our communal lives to the cruciform Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Placing ourselves, offering ourselves as living sacrifice. That's what St. Paul said is, is basically the height of Christian life is offering 
ourselves as a living sacrifice and to be in conformity to Christ. So I say all that because there's so many things that we get wrong in evangelization, making the mass just another tool. Well, 98% of the people that your church are going to show up on Sunday. So, so what have beautiful liturgies where they encounter the cruciform Christ? Yeah. Nah. Instead, uh, make it gimmicky and make it easy and make it fun. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Make it beautiful. Make it transcendent. Yeah. Make it resplendent. Because right. from that, we are fed and can actually do the work of evangelizing. Mm -hmm. That's that's the thing. I had two recently very interesting conversations. One was just one of our senior servers who I mean, they they had, were having recent practices and getting ready for all the new servers that were coming in. I just I saw some of the, the senior servers talking in the parking lot. I went over them just said hey and 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 non-elicited uh they just said hey thanks father david for all the all the good things we've been doing at the parish and i said well one thank you the pastor um, it's not me but like yes but he's like i really appreciate like we're, we're doing things to kind of i don't remember exactly where he said like bump up liturgy you know make it and he's like make you know what spicy. i appreciate about make our it spicy <laughs> well, yeah well interesting then he goes you know what i really appreciate about like the catholic faith that it's strict and i was like what? Like, okay, you got to tell me what more yeah. you mean about that. Um, because I did not expect this from a high schooler to say he loves strictness. Yeah. He's like, no, no, we, we, we believe things and we really like, and, and then, and like, we believe it's Jesus. And so that's why we brought back the patents to make sure that, that we never lose a particle of him. And it shows what we actually believe. And then too, like our, he, he went on kind of talking about like moral things and saying like, yeah, we, we, we really believe things. So that means certain things are acceptable and other things are going to hurt us and, and, and would be bad for us. And I was like, that's awesome. And, but we, and so the, the same would apply like for liturgy, like there are some things that are going to greatly assist us to enter into the reality and other things that are going to hurt us. And so another conversation I was having with someone recently, and they were saying, uh, they were thanking uh, me for some of the good things that have been happening in the parish liturgically. And they were like, yeah, it really makes me think of some of the couples that I know who are, they've been married around the same time as them. And are, and are all like all going through divorce because they all came in to the notion of marriage as if like, this is supposed to make me happy rather than this is my cross that I'm choosing and I'm going to die on it for love of the other person. Like I, this is the place, this is the place where responding to what I think I've discerned with God, like I'm going to love like figuratively the hell out of this person. I'm going to try to help make them the same, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to love Jesus like through loving them and my family that all comes to that. But because they didn't have this notion of sacrifice, of yeah. giving themselves. And this goes into like identity, right? Again, disciple, like understanding whose you are is so important as well. And But I mean, to understand whose you are, you got to understand what he's done for you. This is where it gets into so many times y'all have talked about like, yes, knowing the faith really does matter because you can't, you can't love, you can't fall in love. You won't be joyful about like spreading the good news if you don't even know what he's done for you whose you are, yeah, it just gets lost. And that, that gets yeah. us in again, if, if we want to circle back then to liturgy is a, so again, the font and apex as Lumen Gentium says of, of the Christian life is the Eucharistic sacrifice. So Christ offering himself on the cross, he ascended. We say this in the first Eucharistic prayer, like he ascended into heaven, right? Like this part of it, like we forget the ascension a lot of times. We just think passion, death, resurrection, but oh, the ascension is super important. Why? Because he ascends to the father to offer himself now eternally to the father and saying, father, look at me, look how much I love you. And like, and I'm doing this on part of humanity. So all of them, like give them our life, give them our love. I want them brought into that. Now that begins the first encounter that anyone ever has with the merits of Christ's sacrifice are in the waters of baptism. 
like where Christ chooses us. This is also what I, I love saying, like at, at infant baptisms. While you, you all have talked about this, like there does have to be faith in the parents, right? But I also go like, it's also awesome that the church still keeps around this like infant baptism because that child has done nothing. They, they eat, sleep, and one other thing. And, uh, and yet Christ is choosing them. Yes, through the parents, like bringing them, but Christ is choosing them. And, and so it just is a reminder too, that we are receptive, that yeah. he's the first mover and we receive. And then all, and what made into a little Christos made into a little Christ, one who is there anointed by God and now to offer sacrifice everything. I mean, I even love it. Like when people are going through hard times, you know, I'll, and even sometimes I try to obviously preach this when they're not going through hard times so they can maybe remember it is, is that not only do we build up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but Paul talks elsewhere as well about how like these are Christ's sufferings. like these are Christ's. He is so loving that he's bringing us into his own sufferings. He's inviting us to the cross because the cross can transform the world. When embraced and when imbued with divine power, which is what he's given, sanctifying grace by, by baptism, or if you've lost it because of mortal sin, when you go to the sacrament of confession, which is also liturgical. Again, we, we tend to just use the word liturgy for mass. But like all of those moments are encounters with the living God. All of them are flowing from the Eucharistic sacrifice that God dispensing grace and there so you can what? Be the little Christ you're called to be. Be the one that will help, joins with him in sanctifying the world, loving others, being, yeah, a light to the nations. Yeah. In, in a real way, you know, the, the biggest evangelization moment highlighted in the New Testament is Pentecost. Mm-hmm. The power of the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles and the disciples gathered in the upper room. Blessed Virgin Mary was there. They go out and they preach. I mean, Peter's charismatic homily number one, as it's known in certain circles, uh, is so powerful. And it's accusatory. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has risen. Mm-hmm. They're cut to the heart, brethren, what must we do? And he said, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says that day, 3,000 were added to their number. Amazing. We all know this story. Yeah. And then it says 242. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So are you devoted to the apostles' teaching, the teachings of the church? And to the fellowship, are you devoted to your brothers and sisters in the pew, to your father's? in the pulpit to the mothers and you know, are we devoted to everyone yeah. as the Christian community? I just had a conversation with someone. They said, Oh, I just feel so alienated. My, no one's, no one likes my kids at the church. And it's like, so I sit my kids down at dinner and we, we kind of talk about this issue. And I said, Hey, you know, we have this friend who said that, uh, that, that they're not feeling loved at church. And they're like, what? I love them. They're great. Blah, blah, blah. And I go, Yeah. Okay, but many of them are younger than you. Do you go out of your way to show them love? And then so we have this great conversation with my kids about, like, what does it mean to live mission as a family? It means that even sometimes you have to leave your friends in order to comfort those who are on the outside. And we all see them, you know. You, you take a look, like, I can't help but do it after being a, a youth minister for so many years of scanning the room looking for the teens that are alone, Right. And so when I'm at church and I look around, you know, you look around the parish hall, look around, whatever, and you just see people who are alone and you're like, go talk to them. Now to ask kids to do that, that's a lot, but Mm -hmm. they know what it's like to be that kid. Mm -hmm. Nothing fills a child up more with fear than being completely alone. So then the thing becomes like, all right, am I devoted to my community? Am I devoted to the brothers and sisters, whether it's 
the brothers and sisters, the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame that Christ points out so many times in Luke's gospel, or, you know, my least, the least brethren, or is it my brothers and sisters who are united with me in baptism? But it's like, we don't even think about them. And I think there's such power there. Then he says, so it's the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. I just think like right there to the liturgy and to a prayer life. Like, what are we doing with these things? This gets to the point where you were speaking of like people go like, oh, well, this, the liturgy has to, or the mass has to appeal to the kids or whatever. And it's like, so let's remember it's, it's the both and it's what you were just talking there about St. Paul. It's, it's the breaking of the bread, the liturgy, right? The, or holy sacrifice of the mass, right? And then, and then to the teaching of the apostles. So there's going to be a catechetical component that's going to be in there. And again, and it's loving God, loving God and loving neighbor, but it's in the whole swath of stuff. Like that's, what we also forget, like when the church talks about the, the Eucharistic sacrifice is a source and a summit, like think of a mountain, right? And like a mountaintop experience, and this goes to, you're saying like, oh, should it just be gimmicky or should it be like the greatest thing we can offer, which guess what we have to, if we're going to figure out what the greatest thing we can offer is, we have to go to the the teachings of the church, teachings of Christ through his bride, and she'll tell us like what is the best. And then if it's hard for us to understand, like, again, that's, that's ours to learn to submit. Yeah. And so that we can, again, render something great. While that mountaintop experience, that mountaintop experience is supposed to be otherworldly in a sense. Again, we're joining with the angels and saints, but we can't forget, and this is the problem that we have and why some of the liturgy wars and stuff exist, is because we try to shove everything into that. Because we're consumers and we want, and again, most people, not disciples, they just want to check off a box on Sunday and be like, I did the thing for God. And while there's a good there, and I want to affirm that, keep coming to Mass, even if you're in a checkbox mentality, like there is so much more. The reason why people are hurting and broken and and the reason why there are people on the peripheries that like Pope Francis is calling us to is because we've we've just relegated God to some box. And maybe that box is again the best place like he where he is. Like you know he's in the tabernacle. Like, he's he, he's there at in, like God has condescended has come down to be with us and good we're going to mass. But we're also like that's supposed to fuel us. Like right the church says go. Like go now in peace to glorify the Lord by your life. Like and then we need to go out there and love God and in our daily prayers and all these sorts of things and studying the faith and, and again, digging deep, deep roots into that so that, I, and praying with it. So it transforms us so that what we can love our neighbor and love them really well in truth, having the, the crucial conversations, the tough conversations that might need to happen, but also just loving them, like being there for them. And this gets us into like pre-evangelization and evangelization, let alone like catechesis. But I mean, just, just in some senses being very human so that, we can bring them into something far greater. I mean, and that gets us to, you were saying like early, early church, like, right? Like there, there's a secret, there's a, I mean, it, it, it is the, the sacraments in a certain sense are for the insiders or right to, when you're baptizing, you're making them included. You're including them now into the people of God. Like, but it is for the, for the insiders. We got to be the people who are so transformed by our sacrifice, like joining in the sacrifice of Christ and offering our sacrifices in each of the sacraments, whether it be laying down our sins in the confessional and coming with a contrite heart that hates the sins because we love Jesus so much and, and all he did for us that we're willing to go out there and, and be and change the stuff in our life. Or it's, again, coming to Mass on Sunday, whatever, whichever the particular sacrament we want to talk about. That yeah, we are, we are transformed so that then we can go out and share the good news uh, with others and bring them in to this otherworldly experience. But that also gets into parishes that don't, they lean heavily sometimes on all the, the churchy and sacrament stuff. I think sometimes because while we, we understand it, we also don't understand it. And we, we leave out like all the other moments, 
places of encounter that should have should be in a parish because guess what if your friend's been away from the church for 20 years mass may might not be the best place to bring them if anything go to confession first but guess what they're probably just just going to respond to a call like oh hey you go to confession yeah all of these are great and i think submitting ourselves as disciples at the feet of the master one of the best things we can do to do that obviously you know i always harp on is gospel reading but also is going to the mass as frequently as we can in our state and life. But when we come back, we're going to take a brief break here. Here's some fine words from our friends over at Ascension Press. Oh, uh, ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, wait. When we come back, I had an ADHD moment. When we come back, we're going to talk about some more stuff, more practicals on being attentive liturgically. But before we do, text EKSB to 33777. That's EKSB to 33777. Get on our mailing list. We're seasonal. You need to know when we're coming out with fresh hotness. And so we want you to be a part of that. Yes. So Texas, we will not spam you. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Cavins, and I'm excited to introduce you to the Ascension app. It contains the full text of the Great Adventure Bible, the full text of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and both the Bible and Catechism in a Year podcast. The app has special features that make the connections between the Bible and the Catechism crystal clear, like color-coded crosslinks and easy navigation. It also answers nearly 1,000 questions from Bible in a Year listeners about the Bible with videos from myself and others, also audio clips and excerpts from Ascension's popular books. To download the app, simply go to the App Store on your phone and search Ascension. I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Carry it around everywhere I go. And we are back. Oh, that was a, a raucous break of four and a half seconds, not even. Um, so, okay. We're rapid fire rounds. You ready for this, Father? This is, oh, it's the end of the talk. We're doing a Q&A session. We got five minutes left. People want to ask you questions. Okay. Can I throw in something before we get there? Yes. This is the part where you say, hold on, before it begins, I'm okay. going to throw in something. Go. Okay. Before it begins, I do just want to go back to yeah. one other thing, because you've, you've talked about it on EKSB, how you were praying the Liturgy of the Hours. And I do yeah. just want to emphasize that uh, that's a great way to, again, engage in liturgy. Like, that is liturgy. Yeah, and, uh, the praying, the prayers of the church, praying like the Psalms, uh, and it, too, it's 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 highly encouraged. Like this is a thing in the Second Vatican Council that said, like, and the lady too. This is paragraph one hundred of Sacrosanctum Concilium, and the lady too are encouraged to recite the Divine Office either with the priest, so you can encourage your priest to like have this because it says that the priests are supposed to make vespers, evening prayer available on Sundays and solemn feasts, or among themselves, or even individually. Like this is a good way to enter into the mind of the church and also like pray. Seasons, which sometimes we don't do well because we're yeah. like in Advent, we're already thinking Christmas. And it's like, no, no, live Advent, please. And yeah. then let's celebrate the heck out of Christmas. But so I just want to encourage too, like that might be a good way. And especially with, you know, the Liturgy of the Hours that Bishop Barron's like put out, or there's apps and all these different things. Like that can be a great thing. And also too, so you don't play like the Bible roulette, though again, it's great to, we have these things like the Bible in a Year by Father Mike Schmitz allowing you to go through more. But if you're, maybe you already did that and now you're looking for, okay, well, now what do I do? Well, maybe it's start picking up the Liturgy of the Hours and praying, praying the Heavenly Liturgy in time. Like, because we also forget, as you were, you were saying earlier that, well, I'm, I'm going to just jump into Mediator Day. The liturgical year, it says, devoutly fostered and accompanied by the church is not a cold, lifeless representation of the events of the past or a simple or bare record of a former age. It is rather 
Christ himself who is ever living in his church, like the year lived out and how we pray through the year, like that manifests like Christ in the world in time, sanctifies time, and and we we get to be a part of that, like sanctifying time and even offering that sacrifice, which for all of us who are super busy, time is a big thing to sacrifice. Yeah. And I, I think that's so beautiful. I think that's so beautiful. Time is a big thing to sacrifice. And that works because I have a question for you. Here's my rapid okay. fire round okay, that fine. goes right from that. Father, mass is too long, right? So uh, Cardinal a question Nolan, there. That, just, that was a statement, which we get a lot of those. They're yeah. like, hey, Father, can I ask you a question? And you just get a statement. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Why are you so dumb? Uh, first of all, how dare you? Uh, no. So F- Cardinal Dolan wrote an article on Sunday masses are too long. So you have thousands of people respond to a survey, why did you leave the church? And the top three things were, oh gosh, what were they? Um, my church was shut down, was number two. They couldn't understand the priest, was number one. And then number three, mass was too long. And he said, I was tempted to dismiss it, but dozens and dozens of such replies came in by people who would consider themselves faithful Catholics. And you sent this article to me as an interesting like thought provoker is ma- what count constitutes a mass that is too long for Sunday? And why do, why do you think people say that all the time? Um, I think part of it is, one, we, we don't get what mass is. We also don't understand who we are and what our part is in the sanctification of the world, let alone um, our own sanctification, how God wants to bring that about. The other thing is, is that, again, we have a checkbox mentality that's there, so people want to get in, get the consumable product they want, which is why, again, we have liturgy wars, like, I want this type of music, or I want this type of homily, or I want whatever. And We want to get what we want, and we want to get the heck out of there so we can go we can go do what we want to do on Sunday, the way we want to rest. Because, okay, fine, I'm, I'm doing the thing God told me to do, but I really, I want to get to the resting I want to do. And so, again, it's a, it's a selfish consumeristic mentality that's there. There can also just be, sometimes it is also that, that what we also forget that the church has not prescribed any time for mass. Why? Because when we enter into the sacred liturgy, we leave Kronos time to Kairos time. We go to, we're starting to participate in eternity. And all of you have probably experienced this at some point in time. And this is why mass can feel really long because when it's, when it's celebrated poorly, it feels horrible. Like it feels like purgatory. All right. But like, I'm sure some of you have gone and you've gone to a prayer time and you've set aside, like, I'm going to just pray for 30 minutes and you sit down and you start to pray. And then all of a sudden your alarm goes off and you're like, whoa, where did time just go? <laughs> you began participating in eternity. Yeah. You began to participate in the eternity where like time does not exist. And so the now the argument that's that's being made there in terms of uh, mass can be too long. Yeah, it can feel too long. You can have a 5-minute homily that feels like an eternal purgatory or you can have a, like a a 20-minute homily that when it's hitting the points and you're moving along and you're making stuff you're engaging the people like and yeah. feeding them. Cause like we were talking earlier, like people are, are hungry. Yeah. Um, and when that might be the only time, cause they are really, really busy. Like when that's the only time they have to be fed with the word, if you're giving them something good, like sometimes they, they don't, they don't care what time it is. But again, I do think we, we, we miss it. And, and Latins like, so there's Eastern right Catholics and there's Latin right Catholics. Like ours is already like, there is a, an element of sobriety and efficiency though we're not utilitarian. In fact, there's many times the church actually tells us, like, waste time. In fact, that's what you do with people that you love. You waste time with them. And it's a beautiful thing that helps you grow in deeper intimacy. But, like, the church will say, like, now is a time for silence. Like, basically, don't do, quote, unquote, anything. Like, be silent, meditate, 
take in the word, let it germinate like in you so that it can, again, blossom and and bear much fruit. But we, we again, in a hyper-utilitarian society, want the thing, how we want it, when we want it. Now, Colonel Dolan, he talks about, mm-hmm. these are the examples he gives. Yeah, yeah. Now tell me, mass starts with music rehearsal, <laughs> then yeah. an obligatory greeting to those around you. By then, we're five minutes past when mass is supposed to start. Mm-hmm. The celebrant will usually give a lengthy introduction. The Gloria can exhaust the angelic choir to say mm-hmm. nothing of an unending song of responsorial psalm. The prayers of the faithful can go on forever with the final petition for the deceased yeah. added, <laughs> added to on the spot as some are dropping dead in front of us. Then we sit away and wait a while for the collection and offertory procession. The Lamb of God can reach the length of a baseball game. Often we add a reflection after communion, meaning a layperson gives a homily. Uh, with subsequent announcements, don't forget the long list of thank yous for all those who had a part in Mass. God forbid we should leave before all five verses of the closing hymn are sung and the mammoth yeah. homily from priests and deacons who ignore the Pope's admonition to keep homilies eight to ten minutes. And I thought that's funny. Oh, he's trying to be funny, and he says I'm trying to be funny. But a lot of those things are things unnecessarily added into the liturgy, right? That burdens yeah. the liturgy, you know? Yeah, the homily thing, I think, I, I get, I hear Pope Francis, I also know, like, pl- plenty of great preachers whose parishes are just doing tremendously because they're preaching and giving substantial content on yeah. on the readings, on the catechism. All I appreciate that, and I, and I understand, I think, where Pope Francis is coming from, because, again, we've all experienced the five-minute homily that feels like an eternity. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if you're going to be bad at preaching, then keep it short <laughs> keep it short please but all the others are just things that are added on with that in the false notion of a non-catholic notion of what the mass is that we're there to come get a consumable product that's supposed to make us feel good again like prayer song and sermon should be like what we want uh, and two it's supposed to be like this big community gathering which yes it is the ecclesia it is the people of god that he has chosen his own and are to be reassembled remembered right the members of the body are all coming together as one mystical body with christ at the head offering the sacrifice all the people of god facing the father together offering their sacrifices one mystical body yeah that's that's the goal not just hey we're coming together to be together on sunday as a community to worship the way we want to worship and say hi to our neighbor like yes is there a place for understanding right this is that gets us in like full conscious and active participation the first time that's ever used is in a 1903 document by Pius X, and it all has to do with chanting uh, because the church is saying like you need to understand the rites and actually Pope Francis even emphasizes this in Desiderio Desideravi. We need to understand the rights because we, that's the only way we can go more deeply into them, right? Like you can't have a great relationship with a person if you don't know anything about them. So you got to understand them and then have an encounter with that, that the, the content, the person who holds that content about them, you have an encounter with them and that, that helps you understand them as an aspect of reality more deeply. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'm trying to pull up all the... Well, he has this that, great. He has this great line where he said um, that a liturgist and him were talking, or a priest and him were talking. He said the Eucharistic prayer is now an afterthought. The priest said it used to be that many wrongly acted that as if everything prior to the offertory was unimportant, meaning in the Latin Mass. Now it seems that everything after the liturgy of the Word is second class. Time it. A sung Gloria or a sung responsorial Psalm or even the Lamb of God can be longer than the Eucharistic prayer. And it's like, it's funny. It's like we take all the time in the world for, for the liturgy of the word. And then we just run through 
the liturgy of the Eucharist until it comes time to actual give communion. And maybe that might take a while if you got a lot of people, but it, it is, it is amazing to me that we've, we've inverted the very point of the mass. Like the readings are meant to place us into, into the Holy sacrifice. Right. And now it's like, that's nah, an afterthought. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like we're losing our Catholic identity. That should tell us so much that we've, that we've deformed what it means to be a Catholic. Part of the problem we have and why people are having those, or saying that to that bishop is we don't even know we've lost our Catholic identity, which is yeah. why if we're ever going to end liturgy wars or or just two, if we're all going to be united in like offering the sacrifice of God to uh, with with the Son to the Father, well, then we need to go back to documents of the Church. We need to look at what the Church actually tells us and be again humbly submissive to it, so that we can engage these things well. Again, there's all, a lot of these things that we're we'll be talked about are additions that aren't supposed to be there. These extra commentaries or whatever, like, are not supposed to be there. And yeah, we've we've gone into a mode of looking at worship. That's not Catholic. Again, it's primarily about prayer, song, and sermon rather than the sacrifice, which the Eucharistic prayer is where we've really made the turn and we've entered into even more so the sacrifice of Christ being made present for us. But yeah, we we come with a utilitarian, a consumeristic, and even like there's some elements of non-Catholic theology that have crept into the way that we we offer worship. And we need to really analyze those. And it but the only way in some senses we're going to be able to do so is getting back to documents of the church, reading, uh, reading these things. Get which those have documents those out, deep... people. How many folder, how many documents do you have open right now on your laptop? How I many? closed everything. I showed you like <laughs> you my did. ridiculous. <laughs> I have five or whatever, like seven tabs open. That's like it. <laughs> I closed down a Firefox that had like 284. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you might miss one. Just in case. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's awesome. So, last last word of advice: busy parents, young kids. What do you say as they're struggling with the idea of hauling the the whole fam to mass? What word of encouragement would you give the weary heart? I mean, that's your like. So, your vocation is um, to be ones that bring your children to Jesus. You're bringing your children to Jesus. This is part of your vocation. Like parents always come up to me after mass and like, I'm sorry. Like my kid was making noise. I'm like, I didn't hear it. Like I'm engaged in offering the sacrifice. Like, yeah, your kids make sounds. Like I'm <laughs> uh, sure there might be some grumpy priests out there and shame on you. But like if, if the church ain't crying, it's dying. Like I, I bring the children, bring them up front. The children's choir. Children's choir is also a great thing. Like we. No, really I mean should. that's what we call the the crying babies. They're the children's oh. choir. They're singing. Well, I mean, they're, in their way, they're offering praise to the Lord. Sure, sure. But I mean, I, and, and but there is also something to be said about like as soon as we can teach those kids like some of these chants and all that can be a very good thing. Challenging their their little minds and again pushing them to to know these things so that they can these these hymns and and more importantly some of the chants that are like the Hail Holy Queen like the Salve Regina can be embedded in them. Um, like something we just saw at World Youth Day, like. Not all the Americans knew some of the prayers, didn't know how to pray them in Latin where other countries did. They didn't know how to sing the Salve Regina. Ours had because we'd been working on it here, but but we saw it in other American groups that they just didn't know some of the basic prayers, which can unite us together. But back to the the families is like, yeah, bring your kids. You're even if you're distracted, like you're still there in engaging in the sacrifice. Now, if you want some help, like my encouragement is again, pray 
maybe pray with, as Gomer was talking about with his family, like Saturday night, go through the readings. So one, you've now gotten to hear it in case you have to take a kid out to like a cry room or something <laughs> yeah. like that, like during mass. Okay. So now you've heard the readings once. Hopefully you get to hear them proclaimed to you as God uses a lector or a deacon as an instrument by which he speaks to his people. And then I would encourage read again, like on Sunday, maybe it's a night, maybe it's a at breakfast, like, hey, like read the readings again. And this is also a way to get the kids like participating in the sense of proclaiming the word of God, allowing it to be written on their heart as they, again, are, are enfleshing the Word of God. And you can, but then it becomes, now we're talking about the faith. And great, you've just made your family life one where we talk about the faith, we talk about Jesus. I want to hear what you have to think about your faith. That's like a really big deal. And then I will say, again, for the people who are still like just very concerned about the squirmy kids or the ones who are making a noise, is remember also, as we're talking about like meditations and things like that at home, is like, have that regularly. I would encourage having it like every night. Even if you got like rambunctious little boys or something like that, like try to make some time where it's like, this is reading time, this is prayer time, this is quiet time. And granted, they can only do so much based on their particular age. But if the only place where they're told to be quiet is mass, guess what? You just made a torture chamber for them and they are going <laughs> to rebel against that. No, of course. Yeah. 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 Great advice. Great advice. Thank you, Father David, for hopping on the show. Uh, this is Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. Dave Van Vickle, keep him in your prayers. He was just super busy today, couldn't make it happen. But, like I said, we upgraded ontologically with Father David Hust. <laughs> so glad to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, awesome. Adios, everyone. God bless. God bless.